Hey, if you're here, you're in the right place. I'm Tyler Freeland, and welcome to the Brand X Cleveland podcast, a forum where expert voices come together, united for one purpose, to help businesses and causes survive, and ultimately find success through crisis. And we have a little bit of fun along the way. You can find this episode, as well as previous episodes, at brandxcleveland.com. That's brandxcleveland.com. On this episode of the Brand X podcast, Charlene and I sit down with Stacy Vassellini, president and founder and all-around go-getter at SLV Public Relations. I swear, this woman doesn't sleep. Teacher, mentor, member of multiple boards, cancer survivor, French enthusiast, and all things public relations. I mean, all things people, really. And I'm sure I'm missing 50 other things, but that's fine. You'll hear all about it in a second. Here is Stacy on the brand. So yeah, my name is Stacy Vassellini, and I am the president of SLV Public Relations. And what was the next? <laughs> Just, uh, one word to describe yourself. First word that comes to mind. Charlene, can you help me? I don't know. Oh, jeez. Uh, I can think of a million questions, or a million words. Uh, You've got to come up with one. I don't have, like, a good one right now, so it's the wrong Fine. Um, it, Get a bad one. No, so a good one. Uh, well, I'm disciplined, so I think that's probably a good trait. That's good. It's really good. You're going to love it when that question comes up again sometime. How did you get involved with PR? And how did it eventually turn into, you know, this company? That's a good question. I was just speaking to a bunch of first-year comm students or P- their journalism students, PR students at Bowling Green yesterday. And uh, so I have a little practice uh, about this. So I originally uh, majored at Michigan State in telecommunications. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. And at the time, I know it seems silly now, but there were only a handful of women who were broadcasters and I grew up with older brothers and grew up loving sports. My dad, you know, our whole family is just a big sports uh, family. So, you know, it wasn't until I had an internship with a very well-known, obviously he was a really revered sports anchor in Cleveland. His name was Nev Chandler. And, you know, I got to intern for the summer and I got to go to Brown's training camp and see the feeds and kind of do you know, do updates of different baseball games that was happening uh-huh. and stuff. And I, I liked it, but uh, there wasn't, still wasn't a lot of opportunity for women then. And I, I just, at that point, while I realized sports is really important in society and it plays a big role in, you know, uh, you know, being an outlet for stress for many people. And that's why so many people are suffering probably an extra yeah. amount um, now during COVID. But it just seemed a little trivial to me, like what I was doing versus seeing like, you know, people come in and do stories about just, you know, whether it was trauma stuff or, or anything else, good, good uh, will stories. So I decided to kind of look something more general. And it just happened that I was doing some free internships with someone and he connected me to an agency called Griswold. And it was one of the oldest agencies in Cleveland. It was an advertising agency, started in the 30s. And it was mostly a B2B agency. And I ended up getting a job, not in PR, but in their traffic department. So I was traffic coordinator and I held that position for a year and a half and during that time there was an opportunity they needed a volunteer to do some PR for Arby's the Arby's account 
and they were introducing light sandwiches to their menu and we, we actually my mom helped me we went to Akron and Canton and delivered we picked up from a franchisee who was very generous he gave us all the sandwiches and we did drop-offs and uh, radio and TV okay. and drop them off you know at like six in the morning corned beef or roast beef sandwiches <laughs> Uh, that sounds that, awesome at six in the morning yeah and it seemed, it does seem fun you know um mm. you know and uh and then shortly after that there was a position open with one of our clients dirt double uh, royal appliance they make dirt double vacuum cleaners mm -hmm. and i applied and uh, got the position as a pr coordinator and it went from there i you know i have to say that there weren't as many classes even at michigan state for public relations so not to sound arrogant or anything but i did learn a lot just on the job and through trial and error and just through mentors and mm -hmm. really going out and asking people because you know what i didn't know i didn't know and i wasn't afraid to do that so and that's how i ended up after that i uh, went to like at stash hours where i met charlene and so i was mm -hmm. there for a while and I was an equity partner there, and they unfortunately uh, are no longer in existence. And when I got out of there, I decided to start my own business because one of my clients called and wondered where I was at Liggett, and no one bothered to tell them I was there. <laughs> he just kind of said, well, I still need help. Do you want to do some work? And so I said, yeah. And, and actually, that's how that happened. And then another client or another friend of a friend was, had a business, and you know, so it just kind of snowballed from there. Okay. Okay. So what kept you in the, in the PR game? Like whenever, you know, you did that first public relations with the Arby's, what, was there something about it that just kept driving you to learn more and to be a part of it? Yeah, I think it was just the interest of working with media and, you know, get it, being able to have a third party endorsement or get credibility that way. And we knew it was very challenging because we often refer to ourselves as, Kind of the redheaded stepchild, no offense, Charlene, of the marketing mix because you know it, it's it's always traditionally been hard to really measure ROI for PR, and we do you know we're not as as good at that collectively as an industry, and you know nobody uh -huh. has a nobody has a standard um, way to measure anything. Some people measure impressions, some people measure. I mean, I don't think anyone measures ad equivalency now, but it just seemed like a challenge and I like getting out of the office. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was fun. And then from there, I kind of, my first day, my first week at Royal Appliance, I had to go to the houseware show in Chicago, which is this huge trade show. And I was oh. there for eight days because we had a part Please. of my role was to help the uh, marketing person set up the booth and supervise the booth and everything and then get all the product in the booth and then we took down the booth once the show was over so um so on the corporate side i did a lot uh, not only pr but you know you always get tapped into doing some other things that are not traditionally pr you know newsletter hr stuff mm -hmm. um, so that kind of just helped um build my 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 expertise in intro okay. and so what do those people think pr is well my free advertising is the word that I just want to punch someone in the face. But when they say that, <laughs> put that in. No. Yeah, that's going to be the best quote I've got yet. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's not free because you have to pay someone to do it, like myself. But people seem to think, I don't know, it's somehow magical that it appears and they don't realize the hard work. I mean, for every hit you get in the media relations, so for every... Uh, maybe poster um, 
coverage you get in a magazine, there's probably a hundred that you didn't get. So, you know, it's a really small percentage rate. I think it's like one to 3%. It's even lower than direct marketing in terms of, um, you know, sending out pitches and, and then yielding coverage from it. So it's, it's, it's a tough gig. And, you know, you're often questioned, not only, not only by a client, but it, you know, as part of an integrated agency at Liggett, we got questioned a lot by the ad people about it. You know, well, why are you spending so much time doing this and you only have this, but the beauty of it. And I think why I stayed in PR is there's this high, it, like when you get a media hit, you know, and yeah. I got one when I was at Liggett, we were, um, promoting the stuck at prom contest because we had the duck brand duct tape client and traditionally duct tape was uh targeted you know the silver tape toward toward men older men diyers and things like that mm -hmm. well, uh the company was introducing new colored duct tape and they wanted to you know knowing that these men were eventually not going to be purchasing this they wanted to appeal to a, a new demographic so right. color tape we appealed to um to teens and young people and doing crafting and things like that so break lights short, pardon me break lights yeah <laughs> yeah exactly you know, the red tape but we did we did end up getting a co cover on the wall street journal the front page in color oh, wow old um, which has never been done above the fold in color. That was the first color photo above the fold in in the history of the Wall Street Journal, and it was our two winners of the contest, the, the stuck up prom contest. And the reason we had that hit, it was tied into at the time. It was shortly after 9/11, and the I don't know if he was the national security advisor. I can't remember what his role was, but Tom Ridge was the guy, and he basically told Americans to stock up on things like water and heat and duct. Yeah one of them and that was how we got in with that pitch kind of that is know. cool so, uh, that was fun it was really good the tell me you still have the paper oh yeah you want to see it yeah i want to see it <laughs> for sure i know it's crazy right it's like get a light no this is this is awesome i have my first SureTech press kit i put together somewhere there it is. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's in really good shape still too. Yeah, it's been in a drawer somewhere. I, you know, it's funny because I just uh, went through all my, you know, I had like 10 press kits from this client. I, why do I need 10? You know, um, but at the time we would do presentations for other clients and show press kits and things like that. And so mm -hmm. I went through everything, but I kept a few copies. I think I have another one or Love two. It. How is uh, how do you think PR has changed since that time? It's changed a lot, and it's been a real challenge for someone like me who has thirty years experience. So when I started off in PR, I think I mentioned there weren't. I'm not even sure how many colleges actually had like a PR minor major discipline. It, it usually was wrapped up within communications or telecom, or in some cases journalism, which probably is the best match um, of all of those three that I just mentioned for a PR person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I, when I started, you know, the media was the conduit through which to reach your end users. So the consumer, you know, you didn't just, you know, we didn't have direct mail or email or anything like that. So, you know, it was working with the media to get news out, you know, to get a story out, to get an opening art gallery or something like that. So, you know, now, we're, we're 
you know, in touch with influencers and we can go directly. It makes it a little dicey. And one thing that I, I, I kind of have a beef with, and I do work with influencers a lot, and the ones I work with are really pretty good, but, you know, they didn't go to journalism school. So they have, they yield this power, you know, yeah. have like yeah. 1.2 million uh, followers. And if they say something good about your client, which we pitch and we'll give them product to do that, you know, they're not always adhering to journalistic standards. And, you know, not to say that they're, they're great. I don't mean to demean them, but, you know, they don't always have the journalistic integrity. I've done a lot of mailings to them with products and then crickets never heard from them again. And they took, you know, the products. So and that just doesn't happen with journalists. And, that, and that's a challenge. But I think what's interesting also is so if I had a client that was a restaurateur and he had, you know, a chain of restaurants in Cleveland, but he wanted to open one in Charlotte, I didn't, I didn't have access to the Charlotte newspapers, you know, or Charlotte business journals and media TV stations. Cause where would I get that from unless uh -huh. I was there and someone sent it to me. So now I think what's great is that, you know, we have access to anywhere in the country, any media outlet, we can kind of see what their tone is, what their content is, and then we can match our pitches uh, accordingly to that. So it's just kind of an interesting transition. And I think what's also interesting is how social media now is fallen into um, many times the PR lap. So mm -hmm. I think that makes sense too, you know, um, messaging and storytelling and things like that, so. Do you think, I mean, we were talking about PR changing over the course of your career. What about uh, as far as, you know, during 2020 and maybe some brands connecting to certain political movements or social movements and, and things of that nature? Do you see any of that changing or sticking? Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting year from that standpoint. Certainly, it's a, it's a tightrope you have to walk, a fine line as a brand to commit to a movement, you know, because usually movements have two sides to them. So, you know, if you're a brand and you commit to one side, then you're um, alienating the other side through no fault of your own. But, you know, so mm -hmm. I think it was mitigating like what the language would be to support some of these movements was important. And, you know, some brands were, were called disingenuous because they just kind of hopped on the bandwagon. And I think, I think brands, you know, moving forward really need to evaluate and think about their own uh, what their own attributes are as a brand and make sure that whatever they do post or whatever they do support aligns with that. So, mm -hmm. you know, you might be a company who's, you know, all for Black Lives Matter and you post a lot of stuff, but people go and look at your company and you're, you have no um, African-Americans on your board of directors or mm -hmm. management, you know, that's, just, yeah. that's a different message. So I think being cognizant of that for brands is really important. And, you know, from a pitching standpoint for media relations, you know, for a while, I couldn't pitch anything unless it had a COVID angle, especially to short lead media like newspapers and, hmm. uh, and uh, TV stations. You know, the, the media that I traditionally work with regularly are home editors at like Real Simple, Good Housekeeping, Gutter Homes and Gardens. Now, they always need content for home articles or, you know, home products and things like that. So that wasn't, you know, when it's niched out like that, it wasn't such a concern. Plus, they were three to six months uh, out, you know, so, you know, it didn't affect that. But when you're pitching TV, you know, I had a friend, Vic Gideon, he works at WOIO and he's like, Stacy, unless you can tie COVID into it right now, that's all that we're working with. So it's been a challenge. And that was our okay. thing. For, for yes, it was. We did run into that a lot this year. You're involved in a lot of shit. 
in Cleveland and it's crazy. And I just wondered, is there a particular one that you find, you know, more fond of or which one has more challenges and what do you enjoy most about these things? Yeah, you know, I got involved, um, for instance, with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society because I had Hodgkin's disease, which is a lymphoma cancer. And it was after I was done in, um, in remission that my oncologist actually, you know, you go through these emotions when you're, you know, when you have cancer and when you've gone through six months of treatment and things like that. And it takes a toll on you because you're busy fighting for those six months. And then after the physical fight's done, your mind is kind of, you know, in a cloud saying like, what just happened? And what am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of, um, I guess, you know, I was depressed and he thought, you know, me perhaps getting involved, being on the board, being a mentor would help, um, would help me as well as benefit mm -hmm. them. It really did. So I actually am a, I'm um, certified with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society to be a, they call them first connections. So mm -hmm. what happens is if someone's newly diagnosed, no, no, no matter where with say Hodgkin's, they match that person up with their demographic to someone who's already had it and survived. So actually mm -hmm. my first my first one of my first mentees was another woman named Stacy out of Boston and she had Hodgkins and she was single like me professional you know we had a lot of common interests and things like mm -hmm. that and we're like really good friends we come to each other's houses and things like that so that's that's been really magical in that sense um, to, to make those connections and to help people I know it sounds corny but oh, you right. know I, I was glad that there were people that people who I knew who knew people who had it and, you know, reached Absolutely. out to me helpful. Cause you know, doctors only know so much and nurses that they haven't had it. They don't know what it feels like to have, you know, running through your brains or to have radiation. Yeah. You know, it's those other people that you know, have experienced it that you really need to speak with. Mm -hmm. And then Edwin's is just great. I mean, Brandon Krasowski, I don't know if you know anything about Edwin's, but he started, no. he started basically a, a four-star French restaurant, but also a school, a culinary arts school, so that targeting people who had been formerly incarcerated, you know, it's really hard. We have this recidivism rate that's just nuts. And, you know, people don't get that second chance. And mm -hmm. Brandon is just an amazing guy. And, uh, you know, came with an idea in 2011 or 12. And we, we had a little group of us, the founding members, and we were, in, you know, having meetings just where we could find space yeah. and things that now it's a brick and mortar restaurant and school and we've graduated I think I've graduated I think it might be I, I could be wrong but maybe 300 um or maybe two between 200 and 300 okay. students there's like a zero recidivism rate and that's partly to Brandon's you know strength and that seeing it's not just you know it's a problem that goes beyond just having an addiction or things like that it's who you're hanging out with it's what you have access to so edwin's does provide housing for a lot of it and you know transportation bus passes and things like that so it works oh, wow. with other entities within cleveland to kind of make sure that these people do have a second chance and they don't get back into their bad habit and hang around with bad people and we've graduated students i shouldn't say we because i'm no longer on the board but i feel like because I was there in the beginning, but they've graduated, you know, and gone on to like work in a lot of great restaurants here in Cleveland, That's amazing. And, you know, elsewhere. That's it's a great story. And I'm going there for dinner tonight. So. Where, where is it located? <laughs> it's on Shaker Square. Okay. Um, yeah. Awesome. 
And then uh, what about your teaching? So you teach a little bit too, right? You talked about that earlier. Yes, I do. I try to help students in PR and just be able to have access. I know when I was even trying to network when I was in college, I was really timid. I, I'm actually yeah. not, not an outgoing person. I mean, it seems like I am, but I'm a little more uh -huh. reticent about things, especially communicating. So knowing that they were probably scared, I thought, well, you know, it helps to like know someone and to talk to someone who, who does it day to day and, you know, who can be not intimidating. And I, I don't think I'm very intimidating at all. So I, you know, I think it's been great. And I do a lot of, you know, before COVID, you know, would go and talk to classes at, you know, Don uh, Carroll or Person College or Cleveland State. And uh, now we're doing it via Zoom with Bowling Green and other, other colleges like that. Okay. How do agencies like Twist and SLV work together? And this is for both of you. Yeah, I mean, I'll answer and then Charlene pipe in, but I think what's really great in this day and age, and not, I don't mean COVID, I just mean in the digital age, is that yeah. um, there's a lot of smaller agencies, you know, the days of those big agencies that, like I was mentioning, where I started off, Griswold and Liggett, where they had 100, over 100 um, employees, that just doesn't, you know, that's a lot of overhead. It's a lot of paying for healthcare, you know, the physical cost of the space and salaries and things like that. And I think what's great about a smaller agency like Twist and like myself, that's very concise and very, you know, nimble and very lean in terms of not lean to the point where it's ineffective, but lean to the point where, wow, you know, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck and, you know, clients, you don't have to charge mm -hmm. them the cost. And I think, I think the day, you know, at some point in advertising, you're kind of taught to be a jack of all trades. And so, you know, look just enough to be dangerous, maybe about media buying or this or that. And I think mm -hmm. what's happening is that dulls the, you know, dilutes what you do know, and it doesn't make you seem very, very credible. So I think, I think going back to our own, what we're good at and having these niches and then together yeah. bringing those together and working side by side, you know, we're not competing for anything, but we're, we're integrated, mm -hmm. I think. That's the wave of the future, and I'm really excited about it. And I love working with this. It's, we've done some great stuff. Yeah, and I would say similarly, like the days of agency of records are over. I mean, I think everyone's starting to realize that even the big holding companies are realizing that, and that's why they're splitting their agencies up in the way they are. And I think we recognized it way sooner probably than most people and just understanding how regional clients work and even now national clients and what they're oh. looking for. Not every client wants to come to you for all the things. They have in-house right. teams, they have experts that they're bringing in, but they are sometimes looking for an outside perspective and someone that understands their brand still and that mm -hmm. can bring the right people to the table at the right time. And I think that's what we're really good at is knowing when's the right time to bring someone to the table. When's that conversation starting where we could be pitching a media relations strategy or an influencer strategy or gosh, what else have we pitched together? Paid and earned media working together. And we really, I think work well in that perspective and the client benefits from it. They don't have to pay for the overhead of someone sitting there that's never going to work on their account, which they're mm -hmm. starting to get really wise to. I mean, I think we saw that at one of the previous agencies we worked together probably about like 10 years ago now, where a client was starting to question estimates because they were getting, they understood like, hey, I'm paying for someone that I will never see that's working on this, working on this account, but really not, mm -hmm. we're just covering their overhead. 
I was going to say a lot of times they do a bait and switch agency. So you, you meet, you know, the, the senior account team and then, you know, you sell, you sell the client that and they love that. But then when it, when it comes to the, the first start of work day, it's, you got somebody else who's maybe a junior person who's your day-to-day -day contact. And mm -hmm. that can be disappointing for a lot of clients. Mm -hmm. And another question for both of you, what, what's, uh, what separates SLV from the rest of the pack? What makes SLV special? Ooh, I'm gonna answer this first. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think A, Stacy's expertise is unlike anyone else I've ever worked with and I've worked with other PR people. And she really cares about her clients. It's not like a, a BS experience for her. She doesn't just work from nine to five and that's it. I can't tell you how many times right. we've texted at night or on the weekend and been like, hey, what if we pitch this company together? Or what if we go after this media person? Or, hey, Stacy, I saw this article. Do you think we could do something with this editor for this client? And that's very different, I would say, than a lot of PR people, especially at a regional level here. Might not, it's probably different in New York and LA and things like that. But regionally, I don't think we have anyone like Stacy at all. And her mm -hmm. connections are incredible. We had a client who wanted to be in Vogue and I kind of inside laughed because I know how long it takes to get inside into Vogue and those types of magazines. I was like, I mean, if anyone, I remember saying to Mike, if anyone can do it, it's going to be Stacy. And she got us in Vogue, both print and online within three months, which is super unheard of. It's That's usually badass. Like a six month <laughs> to a year lead time. It's really badass. Stacey. And we, I remember being like, sending Mike the email and being like, holy shit, look what Stacy <laughs> pulled off. Not that I hadn't seen it before because we'd worked together plenty of times prior to that, but that was really exciting. The fact that, you know, no matter the size of the account, she treats every client the same, which is something our team prides ourselves on too. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Charmaine. Mm -hmm. It's very nice to be. I, I think what makes me different is, you know, I'm a one man show, one woman show. And that's good and bad in some ways, but I'll tell you, with 30 years experience and my expertise, I've really nailed a lot of things down to the point where I can write a pitch like that. I can write a news release really quickly. Yeah. So my time is streamlined. And I think one thing that's different about me is I don't have a junior person to put on the account and I'm doing the work. I'm doing the community management. I'm writing your mm -hmm. social post. You know, and while it may seem like for, for a senior level person, you know, might come and say, you're in the trenches. You mean, didn't you work 30 years to get out of the trenches? And I like being in the trenches. I like the day-to-day -day stuff. And I think that puts me more in touch, not only with the media, but my clients. And I can tell you for a fact that when I was a man, I guess I was a managing director at, at an agency and I had a team of seven people when the client called and wanted something, I didn't know unless they gave me an update. I really didn't know. And that's, that's part of the fault of a lot of agencies. And I think that's why Tr Twist is great uh, as well. Mm -hmm. But you know, now I know everything. They call me, I can tell them everything. I can tell them yeah. who I emailed the day before. And I think that's great. And, and it helps um, comfort them to know that, you know, someone, someone who has real expertise is doing it and I'm not taking you know, 10 hours to write a press release anymore, so. It sounds uh, pretty collaborative and like a strong partnership. So uh, actually it leads to my next question is what does collaboration and mean to you both or what's the importance of having a strong partner network? You want me to go first? Okay. Well, Stacy's my mentor. I've known Stacy for a lot of years. 
we've worked on a lot of things together at a lot of different agencies. And I think for us, collaboration, and even at previous agencies, meant both of us at the table at the same time. It wasn't PR team over here, account services team over here, which is what you get at a lot of big agencies. Account team here, creative team here, PR team here, and no one's communicating. For us, uh -huh. we're in constant contact. We're, I send Stacy status reports the same way I send the client status reports. So she knows even if it's a paid media piece, she knows what's going on. And we had that with our client Northwest Hardwoods where we were all in it together. It was CMT, Twist, Stacy, what else did we have at the table? KP from photography. And everyone worked together to figure out what are the things we need to make this client successful? What are our goals and objectives? And mm -hmm. I think that collaboration is so important. Otherwise, you're not going to get to your objective and your goal. The client's going to be disappointed. They're going to know that things are disconnected. And we experienced that previously in other experiences that we've had where things just don't sync up. And then, you know, eventually you lose the account and you're back to pitching work again, which is not, not stable and not what people want and not what clients want either. I'd say, you know, one thing that, I think it's really great about not only our collaboration, my collaboration with Charlene and, and the folks at Twist and some of the other agencies we work with is that in, in a traditional agency, by nature of being in departments, you were kind of pitted against each other. So there was almost a sense of, you know, it's them versus us. I mean, I remember in PR, it was the ad side. And yeah. um, I think the egos it just inflames egos when you have a model set like that and i think mm -hmm. what's great about this type of collaboration is we all respect each other for our own areas of expertise mm -hmm. but we also know that we might be able to you know cross the line a little bit into their right. area but i think there's no bad idea and nobody's you know nobody has an ego about it or you know needs to say well that was my idea it's just you know it's, it's, we're working on it together. Whoever brings in the good idea, great. And I think one thing about collaboration that's interesting is like, you think of it being like, okay, you're working, you know, nine to five and you're going to talk to Charlene. I'm going to talk to her and I'm going to, we're going to talk about this client. It, it, some of the best ideas we have happen were when we're at dinner or, mm -hmm. you know, whether we're texting each other, something silly or, you yeah. know, and that's kind of what's, you know, we just are very like-minded and we've always clicked mm -hmm. that way. And I think, that's really special. These are awesome answers. Yeah, we're not just like managing our own P&Ls the way like a big agency you've got, account services has a P&L that they're managing PR and then all of a sudden it becomes competitive versus collaborative. Right. And we've experienced that before and all of a sudden, you know, as an account person, I'm being told we'll sell video through, but video through might, selling video through might not be the right answer for that mm -hmm. client. This approach lets us all come to the table together and say, what's the right solution based on the target audience, based on the goals and objectives and the client's budget, their timeline, mm -hmm. their risk tolerance. And that I think is what makes it special too. And getting back to the businesses, you know, the people that we actually take care of, what are they struggling right now from a PR perspective? I think it's a matter of how much do you want to be out there? you know, and mm -hmm. how, how much messaging do you want to push out there through, through, you know, through media relations, through PR. I mean, it's not, sometimes it's just based on if you have new news or not, but when you don't have new yeah. news, 
and you have old products, but you know, we have to get really creative as PR practitioners. So that's when seasonal things come into mind, you know, like where we kind of, well, this isn't new, but maybe we can offer some how-to tips for, you know, fall or this type of thing where before, if you have new products, I mean, there's an announcement, but I have a lot of clients who haven't, haven't had new products for a long time and mm-hmm. it does make it challenging. Um, it's certainly challenging during COVID. And I think, I think, you know, we're all learning in this together. So I think if you look probably a year from now, it's going to look even more different. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the media looking for right now? We've had a lot of feedback from different media uh, folks, a lot of reporters and editors who are just sick of COVID. And while, you know, some publications and newspapers, I mean, they have to cover it. They have to cover the state, mm-hmm. you know, what the COVID cases are and things like that. And those are different beat reporters who now are doing that. But the other reporters who might do lifestyle or, you know, home or sports even, you know, they, they want their normal, you know, feed from us that we, you know, we yeah. pitch ideas. I think everyone's a little exhausted from you know so much covid but uh, you know it's important but i think trying to tie it into every um different niche of uh, you know it just makes it really really hard and i think for them it it kind of stifles their creativity of coming with their own stuff so i was thinking about that the other day i was like try to go through today not saying covid go through the whole day without saying covid or go through the day counting the times that you hear the word covid this episode's Brand X Partner Spotlight goes out to M Sales Growth Advisors. Any company can try to grow revenue by deploying unconnected tactics, but building for the future in today's rapidly evolving B2B climate means taking smart, proven, and sometimes bold chances. Helping you make insightful decisions based on a sound growth strategy is where M Sales Growth Advisors comes in. Their philosophy? We believe that every strategic sales plan to be successful absolutely must contain a sales mission. To learn more about M Sales Growth Advisors, visit msalesgrowth.com. That's msalesgrowth.com. So how can brands or how can businesses or brands use your expertise, Stacy? Oh boy, that's a good question. I think, you know, I, I like to, you know, I always like to speak to prospects and, and kind of know basically what their goal is because sometimes their goal what they want to do is, you know, it might not involve PR. So first off, I kind of want to make sure when I speak to someone initially that, you know, PRs, hey, you know what, this might be, PR might be step three and you need to do step one. You need to have a website. And this just happened with one of one of my clients. So it's, you know, kind of the chicken before the egg. And so I think me being honest is really helpful and, and very frank about it. And I try to be with all my clients as well as prospects. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think it's a collaboration too. It's, you know, I don't look at them as clients. I look at them as partners. I'm not sure if they look at me that way. They might think I'm a vendor, but my true clients who I've been with, I mean, I've been with one client since I was at Liggett since 2008, 12 Mm -hmm. years, big consumer brand. And, you know, he knows he respects me and we respect each other and we work together. And, you know, it's, it's that kind of, that kind of relationship. So I think kind of being an equal in that sense or being Mm -hmm. a partner is what has helped me with, with many of my clients. No, no. I have a couple, just two more questions unless Charlene wants to talk about something else. Mm -mm, I'm good. So when, you know, you finally leave PR and you go off into the sunset, what do you, how do you want to be remembered in this industry? 
That is a really interesting question that I've actually never thought about. But I, you know what's really funny is I do read the obituaries. I know it's a, I've been doing it since high school, so I, it's yeah. just a weird thing. But I always see, like, you know, I re, and I read everyone's obituary. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's weird, you know? But I think, like, this was a human. What did they do? Like, I want to know more yeah. about them things like that. I've never really related it to myself, but I think, I think from a professional standpoint, you know, I want to, I want to be known as someone that both the client and the media trusted, you know, that, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I was fair and I help people do their jobs without sacrificing my integrity as well. Um, and that's a big thing too, because you do, mm -hmm. especially when you're working on your own. And sometimes people refer to us as freelancers. Now I have a limited liability company, but essentially I could be categorized as a freelancer, but mm -hmm. I don't categorize myself that way because I tend, and maybe this is just a stereotype to think of them more as temporary or, or I think of my role as being, you know, until I retire, <laughs> God willing. And so, yeah, so I think, I think from, from that standpoint, and I just lost my train of thought. So. <laughs> the obituary standpoint? Arlene didn't warn you about yeah. me, did she? <laughs> nope, I didn't say anything. I don't tell people all the, those things. I don't know what you're talking about, Stace. But I think, like, I, honestly, I know this is going to sound, I, I want to be remembered more as a human being and, you know, being a kind person and a generous that's, person. And, that's amazing. That matters so much more to me than... Yeah. what I do professionally because at the end of the day who cares you know who's gonna pick this this Wall Street Journal up and like know the backstory you know it's like yeah who can help I mean yeah this could get a scholarship and everything but you know at the end of the day I think I think you know I love working and I I, I as much as I mm -hmm. say like I'm gonna go live in France in a farmhouse but nice. it's in me in my genes I need to work I need the challenge and I I love it and I love working mm -hmm. with the people I do but at the end of the day, it's still a job and it's still work and, mm -hmm. and I'm still a person. And, you know, and I think, I think that's ultimately more important is who you become as a person, a human being than, than anything you could do financially or professionally. What is one word you would use to describe yourself? Strong. Survivor. Mm -hmm.